0: Welcome everyone to the Rochester Groovecast podcast, your top source for live local regional music, interviews and events from Rochester, New York and the surrounding area. I am your host Ben and I am here with Mitch Gruber, a Rochester City Council member. How are we doing, Mitch?
1: I'm great. Hi everyone.
0: Awesome. It's awesome to have you here today. Um very importantly that this podcast started as a music podcast. Um, given my love for the Rochester music scene. But as it's grown in popularity and as the diversity of guests have grown, I'm excited to have a council member on because I've talked to a couple politicians, but I haven't really talked to many people outside of the music realm. But to my understanding, you have quite the background in music as well, right?
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm not I don't play music. I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. Um, I'm, I'm an avid music listener. That's correct.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. And I, you,
1: I used to way back in the day, I was the head of the jazz department at the Binghamton university radio station, WHRW. Cool. Uh, jazz was my first love musically. Uh, but it is now kind of morphed into a bunch of other things.
0: Cool. And, uh, what brought you here to Rochester? Are you born and raised? Uh, what's a little bit about your history here?
1: Born and raised, man. My, uh, my parents actually uh, were both born and raised here as well. They were uh, high school... I wouldn't call them sweethearts, and their relationship didn't last for that long, so definitely not long-term sweethearts, but they, they got together in high school, Brighton High School, wow. and uh, I ended up going to Brighton High School along with my two sisters. So, um, you know, my family's been around here for, for a while, uh, and I love this city, man. I left for a long time. I was gone for... A while, I was living all over the world, different parts of sub-Saharan Africa. I spent a lot of time in Turkey, New York City, um, and I came back because this is a place for me.
0: Mm. No place like home. I, uh, my my parent, my father actually went to Braden High School, and I went to Penfield, so I'm right from that same area. Uh, of all these places you've traveled, you know, Africa uh obviously you love rochester but do you have any pivotal moments in travel you know places that if i were to get a ticket and go there tomorrow you'd recommend
1: well if you were asking me in a time other than COVID, you probably <laughs> probably a bit of a different answer sure but um my favorite city in the whole world is istanbul uh, i think it's just i think it's an unreal place it is the blending one of the most amazing things about turkey as a country is that correct me if i'm wrong someone who's listening but i believe turkey borders more countries than any other single country in the world which what that means to me is that there's just such a diffusion of culture from different places europe and asia and uh it's fascinating and beautiful all the same so i, I would say istanbul especially when uh when covid deals back a little bit
0: Right. And uh, I'm going to look into it. I, I've been ultimately, with COVID, I've never been more excited to travel being locked in like this. Um, Amen. I, I hear some sound in the background. It, it It's fun walking around. Are you in the city itself?
1: Yeah, I live in the Susan B. Anthony neighborhood. So actually, uh, you can see right behind me, there is Frontier Field.
0: Ah, yeah, I do see it. Huh.
1: Yeah. And uh, here we have... Uh, mcc and kodak so i live i live over in susan b anthony right uh, right across the street from where uh, miss anthony lived and spent the vast majority of her life and career and uh, when i take a walk i usually go past the stadium and over across high falls i'm turning back for the sake of the podcast so i'll be Mm -hmm. home fairly soon now
0: cool yeah it's uh i love taking walks as well the cities uh i pretty much know like the back of my hand now. I'm curious, other than, you know, walking, getting outside, what are you doing to stay sane in this whole crazy environment? And what do you recommend uh, someone who lives in the city of Rochester do to maybe take part and do something other than sit at home?
1: It's a very good question. And unfortunately, there's not a great answer for, for it. What, what, I also, what I'll tell you is making me uh, same. I'm not sure that most people who know me would describe me as such, but um, it's the fact that I have a real deep sense of community here, and and a bunch of communities that are that are, are really rooted in action. So I've been. I'm 34 years old. I've I've worked at FoodLink, which is the food bank here in Rochester, since I was 22 technically. So I've been there for pretty much my entire adult life. Um, and that is my community. And as probably anyone who's watching knows, Foodlink has been really on the front lines for uh feeding this community in ways that we've never had to before. We've been we've been stretched and and moved in ways that are just brand new, but my community of Foodlink and the mission that we have of feeding people has really kept me grounded in this and given me an opportunity to kind of dig in. Uh, not everyone's gonna have that, but what I really mm-hmm. hope that people do have is something some some sense of community, something uh to again ground them and help them you know kind of work towards being as active and as and as social and as healthy as they can be in a time where it's really hard to be those things
0: yeah it's very important to be focusing on on your health and being social and uh is food link still still running as an essential business right now?
1: Oh yeah, we haven't stopped. In fact, last month, uh, Food things has been around for 41 years. Last, last month was the most food we ever distributed in one month in our 41-year history. And I have a feeling that next month might even be higher. Mm-hmm. Um, the need and the demand is just so huge because so many people across the country who have never had to use emergency food before have either been laid off from the job Or they are medically quarantined, or they're just scared, and um, a lot of those things have led to a huge increase in calls for emergency food. Which, you know, when that when those calls come in, that's our job to serve those.
0: Mm -hmm. And as the chief strategy officer, um, are you hearing a lot of those stories yourself? Do you have any for you know stories you can tell us about people you've helped in this COVID
1: environment? Yeah, I mean, there's uh there's people in literally every part of the city, every every part of the county. I want to be very clear about that. This is something I talk about nonstop, even during non-covid times. Mm-hmm. Um, hunger is not an urban issue. It is not an issue that look. It's not. It's not an issue that affects one type of person for people that look one way or another. It is an issue that impacts everybody, specifically in a pandemic like this. But. All the time, poverty is hunger, right? So we see it in urban communities, rural communities, suburban communities. In fact, fascinatingly, even though um, one wouldn't expect this, every single town in the, in the county of Monroe has a food pantry assigned to it: Brighton, Pittsford, um, the most affluent ones. So this doesn't escape. And so a lot of the stories that I've that I've heard, and obviously I won't say anyone's names, but they're people who live in particular parts of the community where you just simply do not expect there to be a dearth of of anything whatsoever. And that makes it in some ways more difficult because there aren't the resources around to help that person. So uh, we've developed a food link with some great partnerships to do home delivery of food to folks who really need it. Using partners from Ibero American Action League, Action for Better Community, great partners who are out there delivering food right to people's doorsteps.
0: That's great. And how does, you know, someone like me or anyone listening get involved with, with FoodLink and the programs around it?
1: Yeah, there's, uh, you know, volunteering has been a very difficult thing during COVID because we can't right. allow for big groups, right? Um, no, and, and also, forget big groups, groups at all, I don't think anybody wants to be around folks that they don't know right now, right? That's part of the whole thing about self-care during COVID. Um, under normal circumstances, Food Bank gets about 16,000 volunteers a year. Uh, we've had to massively scale that back. And we've actually used the United Way of Greater Rochester as the kind of consortium to be able to um, handle volunteer calls and connect them with the right partners. So I'd encourage anybody who wants to volunteer, first of all, you can always reach out to me directly. I'm sure you'll link to my uh, Facebook Sweet. page and stuff then. But um, folks can also go right to the United Way. Uh, their website and find direct volunteer opportunities. And again, it could be in any part of the County, any part of the region.
0: That's great. I appreciate that. So I will link below and uh, everyone get in touch with Mitch, get in touch with food link, figure out how we can help in these times. I know it's going to be a little bit different volunteering at this time as you know, before, after the virus, but aside from food link, what should we be doing to help Rochester right now? What should we be doing to stay sane and still make a difference?
1: Yeah. Again, I, I would point people back to the United ways website because it's not just food link. I would say that there's mm-hmm. tons of different places that could use some help and support. Um, you know, I, I, particularly right now, uh, think a, a great deal about the nursing homes and the senior centers in, in the community that, um, have people just in such isolation, and finding ways to be able to connect with those folks and different, um, programs and initiatives that allows for that is, I think, hugely benefit, mutually beneficial, um, for people who are looking to lend a hand. But, you know, I think the, the larger question, Ben, and this is a little bit of a, I think it's a little bit of a philosophical question is, you know, we have to figure out how to strike a balance, Um, in this community between understanding what a devastating impact COVID has had on people's health, on people's mental health, on people's economic health. Like those are real things. And I hear about them every single day in my role as a council member, as well as food length. But we also have to figure out as a community, how to maintain some level of optimism. I don't know about you, but I personally felt uh, as of three to six months ago that Rochester was on this incredible trajectory, um, one of the things that I'm most proud of of our city hall is a few, uh, I guess, November of last year, we finalized the new comprehensive plan for the city of Rochester. It's called Rock 2034. The reason it's called that is because 2034 will be the 200th anniversary or 200th birthday of the city of Rochester's incorporation. And so we built this beautiful plan to take us into our 200th birthday as an incredibly progressive and strong city that was on the rise Mm -hmm. and first of all let me just say as a quick aside i really highly recommend that everybody who's listening to this takes a look at the comprehensive plan it is all listed on the city's website you just go in there and you search rock 2034 You'll see it. It's a beautiful document with, a, with incredibly uh, interesting ways to actually manipulate it and, and, and look at different things. What I always tell people, especially young folks who maybe haven't gotten engaged in city government before, is look through that content and find yourself in it. Find something that appeals to you. It could be your love of bicycling, it could be your love of live music, it could be your love of libraries, it could be so many different things. Find the thing that appeals to you. Look in it and help us bring that to life. Which goes back to the question that you asked. I mean, what, how do we maintain a sense of optimism right now? It's a very hard environment to be optimistic, but I'm incredibly hopeful that Rochester is actually going to really be able to rise as COVID gets to be in the rearview mirror eventually, probably you know, we're talking about 12 to 24 months from now. I want to see Rochester be the city that we all want it to be, that we all know it can be, and that maybe it hasn't been for all of us. In our generation, Ben, and that—that that to me is the, is the hardest thing. And I think, in some ways, just having some optimism, some engagement, some activism is the is the ticket to get this.
0: Huge! I wrote that down. Rock twenty thirty four. Um, Rock uh, what twenty thirty four? Correct.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right.
0: And, um, I will go and I'm going to read that through and figure out how I can help. Cause it sounds like everything's there and everyone might have a specific interest that they can ultimately take a leadership role in helping you guys out there. Um,
1: Everything, man. It's a 500 page document, but you can look at it in any way you want, right? You can carve it up in different ways. And again, just go to the website and you'll find tons of things that are interesting what appeals to you? And I also say this, I, I, just, I guess I'm just assuming I'm, I'm, I'm profiling that your audience skews younger. Maybe I'm wrong about that, Ben, but that's my assumption. And I think that all the time, um, we have people in, the, in this community, I've seen it, you've probably seen it because you're from here too, friends who, you know, either they grew up here and they leave, or people who come here for whatever reason, XYZ college or a job, they spend five years, they love it, but then they leave somewhere else. We need young folks to be planting down roots here. We need young folks to fall in love with this city. We need young folks to make this city theirs. And so I really hope that comp plan is a great vehicle to get us there.
0: I'm excited. I appreciate it, Mitch. Uh, I appreciate your passion and love for the city and your role helping the city grow and expand. Um, Who has mentored you or kind of played a, a role in, what brought you here today? Uh, have you gotten help along the way yourself?
1: Yeah, no doubt. My, um, my biggest mentor was the gentleman who founded Foodlink. His name was Tom Ferraro. Passed away about six years ago, sadly. But um, Tom, pardon my lack of eye contact. I'm crossing the street and I'm almost home, Ben. Um, Tom right. was, was a really interesting guy. Started Foodlink um, back in 1978. And he was the kind of guy where, um, well, I'll tell you the story of how I met him. So we have some time. If people are bored, sorry, I guess it's my podcast, right? Um, so I was working as a, as, a action, as a head start teacher in the city of Rochester. That's, that's free pre-K for kids under the poverty line. And I was, I was there every day and every day I was throwing away food at the end of the school day because that is what we were mandated to do with anything left over. And it was driving me crazy. I could not. I had just come back from Zimbabwe where there was actual hunger or or actual uh, food shortages, and I couldn't stomach the idea of throwing away food. So I called food. think I had no idea who they were. I was a 21-year-old kid. Tom took the meeting with me. He basically told me, look, it's a federal guideline that you have to throw this food away. There's not a whole lot I can do for you. But Tom was the kind of guy who, at the end of that conversation, said, why don't you come work for me? We'll figure out some way to put your passion to, to use. And so I finished out the school year. Um, I went to go work for Tom, again, when I was 22. And I learned everything I know from him, good and bad, by the way. Not a not a perfect person. I don't think mentors are meant to be perfect. Um, but Tom taught me so much and uh, I think about him every day and do the work in his memory.
0: Awesome. Much appreciation to Tom. Shout out. And uh, now that you've ultimately found yourself in a leadership role and a great role with FoodLink and our city. Do you have any mentees and uh, anybody that you want to kind of shout out as someone who's young and playing a great role in our city here?
1: I can't just choose one, man. That's not (laughs) possible. Sure. Um, There's there's a a lot of, you know, FoodLink is a very young workforce. They have a lot of great young staff there. I think one of the questions about that young staff there is, again, what I said before, I'm not picking on FoodLink, folks. It's the question of, are these are these people who came here for college or for an AmeriCorps position or for a job, food thinker or otherwise, are they going to stick around and make this place their home? And that's what I always try to encourage people. I know I understand the pull of uh, New York City and the San Francisco. I really do. I, I get it. I was, I was there. I was 21 at one point myself. But you know the quality of life in a place like Rochester is high, higher. And it's not only that. There's an opportunity to actually move shit around. There's an opportunity here to actually dig in and change some shit versus in one of these really big cities where those same opportunities are not always available. So, you know, I have a lot of young folks that I uh, work with every day, um, food, and otherwise. I'm on a number of boards in the, in the city that have a whole lot of uh, youth components. And I wanna see some of these young folks plant roots. Um, that's, that's, that's a key piece to all this. And I'll tell you, Ben, interestingly, I think what one thing COVID is probably telling a lot of people right now is even though we all love density and I want density in Rochester too, don't get me wrong, but I think a lot of people are looking around their little closet apartments in New York city paying $3,000 a month and they can't even leave the apartment and they can't even go patronize the stores. And they're thinking, what the hell am I doing in this place? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I wonder how many people are going to be moving in cities like Rochester and Detroit and Pittsburgh and Cleveland across the country in the next couple of years.
0: You're, you're totally right. I was thinking I was talking this earlier this morning. I'd hate to live in Los Angeles and want to be a movie star right now because I'm not going to get an audition. Um,
1: Crazy, uh, right? Yeah.
0: And what's great is, you know, with the internet and technology and remote work, there isn't any reason why you can't live in Rochester and still work for a New York City company or uh, someone anywhere in the world.
1: Well, that's right. And we also have, there's, there's also this incredible opportunity to be, to do startup work here. Mm. Um, there's this, there's, I'll tell you one young person who I certainly, he's not a mentee. He's just someone that I have a great deal of love and respect for. A uh, young guy named George Zhang, who runs a company called Leap Foods, L-E-E-P. George is, George is a guy who, uh, he grows um, culinary mushrooms. Not, uh, not, not the not the magic mushrooms that the Rochester groove cast wishes he was growing, but the culinary, beautiful shiitakes and others. And uh, George is the kind of guy who, he's told me many times that if he took his company to a place like a New York or a Boston, you know, what kind of access to capital he would have. It's much different and probably much, much better and bigger than it is here in Rochester. But he also has the ability to make his company um, more flexible, more, more innovative in a city like Rochester where the where the cost of doing business is so, so reduced. So, you know, I, I look at that and say, How do we as a city figure out how to make access to capital easier for people? How do we make young entrepreneurs more able to start businesses, young folks more able to buy homes? Those are the key things to make the city tick. And I really think we are making progress on it. And by the way, you'll see more of that in Rock 2034 when you read it, Ben.
0: I will. Excited about that. And um, obviously, every little tiny baby step counts, but big steps, huge leaps are better than anything. Let's say you were to win the lottery today. What are you spending the money on?
1: Ooh, what am I spending the money on? I'll tell you what I would probably spend the money on. First of all, I would, I would figure out how to bring back a, a bike, a ride share company to Rochester, because one thing that really, really saddens me is COVID. One of the casualties of COVID was uh, pace. Or Zagster uh, rides We're not going to have one Officially. at least for the for the for the immediate future. Um, and I want to bring back that. And I'd also say I think one thing the city needs is um, some better transportation options, uh, specifically in kind of the downtown loop where we are starting to get some density. And I do think that um, RTS is getting there. Well, another big planning project that happened in the last uh, two years was something called Reimagine RTS, where they totally revamped uh, the entirety of the schedule. And so sadly, it was supposed to launch on June 1. And there's no way it's going to launch on June 1 at this point. But we need something like a downtown circulator that is able to... uh, I've seen it in other places like Columbus, Ohio, which is a city that I think we absolutely could pull some really good things from. Columbus has a... Uh, a cell, uh, an autonomous um, shuttle that just runs kind of like the equivalent of down one end of our main street to another, and it just makes you know regular stops. I would love to infuse some money into things like that trolley, streetcars, because we need to get more feet on the street in the city and less feet in cars.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um I, I presume you're you're an environmentalist. You don't think everything's a hoax. You're looking at the legit truth that our environment is in a weird spot, right?
1: I'm not I I do not think it's a hoax. I, I am <laughs> I I I don't know that, you know, environmentalism. I drive a Prius. I mean, judge me however you want from that, but um I still don't think things are a hoax and we have a lot of work to do as a as a as a as a human race. Mhm.
0: What uh? What are some of the things you've done? What are the some of the things I can do aside from composting, recycling, um, spreading the word? Is there anything we're missing?
1: Well, I, I actually, I mean, I joked about the Prius and I'm not even sure that I made the right decision with it because sure. I've, I've heard some things uh, recently about like the battery of a Prius is actually really bad. But anyways, where I was going with that is that I actually think that one thing we cannot forget is that there's no there's no more political power that people have than with their wallet. And people need to be making the best and smartest decisions um for the sake of our environmental future um with their wallet. And so I would say that's true of the car you drive, but it's also true just of the companies that you decide to support. Hmm. And um that's something that I think we we need to pay more and more attention to. I made it home, Ben.
0: Yeah. I- it's you can dark. see the, the
1: pitch play. No, I'm not inside yet, but I'm, I'm getting there.
0: Right. Well, I can see it's darker because there's not any city lights around you, really.
1: Welcome into, welcome into my home, podcast. <laughs> so, hey, I'm on a podcast. You want to take the baby?
0: <laughs> I'm excited to listen back to just the audio and and kind of get the feel of the door opening and the closing and the
1: well now now you're about to maybe hear a baby scream
0: the screaming of the child
1: (laughs) no no just a little just a little mutter (laughs) okay I'm back sorry about that
0: no you're great um apologies for any of the miscommunication that I brought on I I appreciate you hopping uh on here while you're walking down on the road you're a busy man huh how many hours do you think you're working a day to help this (sighs)
1: Well, I don't know how to answer that always. But, but I also really I, I I I'm not a woe is me type of person. I really like working. Um right. if I didn't like my jobs, I wouldn't do them. And uh so it's probably, you know, it's probably close to 12 hours a day or something like that, but it's all stuff that I like doing for the most part. There's there's some some things that I don't love, but you got to do them anyways, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you obviously love politics. You love to play a role. What got you into, you know, political science, politics, and any of that? Did you want to be an influencer when you were a kid? Um, did something happen throughout your time? Or did you, It kind of just fell into place for you?
1: Um, no, a couple of things happened. So it was 2016. I had no, no interest in running for office um, prior to this, but in 2016, a couple of things happened first and foremost, uh, Trump won. And that really bothered me. And, uh, I found it incredibly, uh, um, not just frustrating, but, uh, but frightening that, uh, someone, well, I wouldn't even go in there's no, what's the point of talking, of saying things that everyone already knows, but his, his, uh, election really frightened me. So that was one, in, that was one thing. The second thing was that, um, for the eight years from 2009 to 2016, I was working two jobs, um, one with Foodlink, and the other is I was a full-time graduate student at the University of Rochester, writing a, a, working on a PhD there. And I finished it in 2016, right around the time of the presidential election. And so all of a sudden, I looked around, and A, I was frightened and frustrated by Trump, and B, I had all this newfound time on my head. Mm -hmm. i I had been used to to working two full-time jobs and now all of a sudden i finished my dissertation i was working one job i didn't want to get into the academy i'm not interested in in uh teaching college at least at this point in my life so i looked around and said how what am i going to do and city council had two vacancies so i ran sorry about the dog
0: (laughs) what kind of what kind of dog do you have
1: uh he's like a shih tzu poodle uh I would I would say he's more of my wife's dog. I'm kind of like the I'm kind of like the stepfather. I would okay.
0: Say. Okay. I've been um I live in the city but I'm quarantined at at my girlfriend's place and she has a bulldog pug like dog and not much of a barker but when she gets in the room and starts snoring, oh my god, she snores louder than I do. <laughs> so. funny,
1: funny funny creatures, man. Yeah, dogs are. But yeah, that's that's what got me. That's what made me decide to run. Um, And uh, most people are not supposed, you know, most people don't win their first run at at elected office. I had a great team around me and uh, was able to to win. And I've really spent the last two two and a half years, really more than anything else, trying to understand how it all works. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's one thing about this this moment we're living in right now is that there's so much distrust towards government. And it's totally valid. There should be distrust towards government because look at what the, the federal government is failing us at every single moment that it can. But um, one of the reasons why government doesn't always do the things that it does that people want it to do is because of the structure, right? Things take a long time. It's slow. Those things that take a long time and are slow uh, are sometimes for good reason, because we don't want to jump into things when we're when we're talking about people's tax dollars at play, so really just trying to understand that and the nuance has taken up a lot of my uh last couple of years
0: yeah, it's uh I know nothing about running for a political position. What does campaigning look like what what does your day or what does your day or week kind of look
1: like? campaigning was uh you know there's in in local politics at least i I couldn't speak for anything else and i have i have no intention of running for a higher office because i couldn't even i couldn't imagine doing it without having a local connection in local office though it's really about knocking on doors so for me i literally knocked on doors seven days a week um for at least four months and i had a, a great team of people it's truly the more people you have knocking on doors with you, the more doors you touch, the more people get to know your name. No one no one knew a, a damn thing about me before I ran for office. I was an unknown uh, unknown name. I had no, uh, what they say in politics, name ID. Um, and so what they say about that is that you need to actually, you need to touch people like seven times to get them to know who you are, right? And the touch could be a knock on the door, but it could it could also be they just saw your name on the news one night, but you've got to get seven times for someone who's never known you before to remember you, and that's really what local politics, what my campaign was all about: getting people to know my name, be able to link me to something. In my case, it was mostly the fact that I was a young progressive candidate, did good work at the Food Link, that people knew, and it was able to uh, to work out for me.
0: Congratulations on that, and I, I love the methodology. Um, you know, when we're a kid, we're taught. Don't talk to strangers. And for good reason, there are scenarios that talking to a stranger could really go south. But at the end of the day, you need to talk to strangers to build the community, to get your brand out, to meet more people and spread your message, you know?
1: yeah it's uh, it, it, trust me, it's definitely something that uh, I think about a lot. I think about the, the gender poli- the, the gender politics of it a lot too because I, I certainly know that there's I have I bring a lot of privilege being a, uh, a white man to, to this space going up and knocking on someone's door. Um, as a white man is a lot different than doing it as a not as not a white man. Um, and and uh, that that I think is something that we need to figure out politically how to how to make how to equal the playing field a little bit. But I love talking to strangers, man. I'm not gonna lie. I love I love talking to I, I love starting a conversation with people, you know, very quickly, if I find out that someone's, uh, you know, Trump supporter who wants to yell about the Second Amendment. I'm probably not going to get interested in talking anymore. But I do like having conversations with strangers, and I think one of the things about Rochester is that we are a big enough city where there are there is there are a lot of strangers, right? But it's a small enough city where you, you where you actually can build community pretty easily. So that's a thing that I love about this community, and it's a thing that I think has um, made me successful uh, politically.
0: Great. Yeah. You talk to a lot of people of all kinds. You get a lot of different points of view. Um, Any, any crazy moments, be it political or just funny that you're out campaigning and someone starts, you know, spitting in your face about their ideology or anything like that. How do you circum, how do you navigate that kind of circumstance?
1: Yeah. Um, not not so much funny stories. There were some. There were some. Sc- there were some scary ones uh, mm. because I I can you know I I don't back down. I don't get bullied very easily. Um, but at the same time, when you're on someone else's property, it's their property. Um, so you know there there got to be some arguments and then conversations about the property line. Where was I? And it it, it got it got it did get a little heated from time to time. But that's. Such a rare exception. The so vast majority of people who answer the door are really eager to talk to people who are running for office. It's something that they're really they're really glad that someone's knocking on their door to talk to them about what's going on in their neighborhoods. And what's going on could be anything from you know I heard probably more people talk about the trees in their neighborhood. Right? So people would be like, "Oh, this tree was supposed to come down last year, and the city didn't do it, or this or that." I mean, giving people a chance to vent about that, and then also being able to take notes and help to and help to make uh, make it happen when you're in office is a really gratifying thing.
0: I love it. I love it. And obviously a lot of you, a lot of what you've done has been gratifying for yourself and the community. What are you most proud of? And it can be more than one thing. Do you have a proudest moment or a proudest accomplishment in your career doing this?
1: Yeah, it's actually a food bank accomplishment um, mm-hmm. for sure. My, my proudest accomplishment is um, started a program, uh, about six years ago now, that we call the curbside market, and it's a mobile farmers market that goes around town. Maybe you have you seen any of the vehicles around town, Ben?
0: I've seen I've seen the vehicles. I haven't participated there's,
1: yet. Yeah, there's three there's three vehicles that are around every day. They're they're kind of like food trucks, right? And so, about six years ago, I designed that program essentially because I was in the I was doing uh, research um, as a historian on hucksters or peddlers who Used to go to the public market back in the day and they would pick up whatever it is that their neighborhood wanted and they'd come back and they'd sell it on their horse and wagon, right? And what's really interesting about sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna geek out on the history stuff for a little bit, but what's really neat about that um, concept is there's something that historians called ethnic welfare. So, you know, the Jewish community like my family, who live mostly up and down Joseph Avenue, they would they would go to the public market and they would get food that was that was meant for the Jewish and Yiddish speaking communities, the Polish community up on Hudson, the African-American community over on Clarissa Street, um, the Italian community over on Upper Falls. They would all have their own hucksters and peddlers who would go to the market and get foods that was ethnically appropriate and sell it to their community. And um, it was a really important thing, right? Because also this is before credit cards. So if, if my great grandfather is selling some gefilte fish off the back of his truck, And, and, you know, uh, Joe Schmo over here doesn't have any cash. My great grandfather could offer him credit in a way that no one else could offer credit at that point. And you do that because it's your community, right? So it's this really powerful thing. And it's gone away because what do we know now? We know, uh, Walmart superstores, we know Wegmans. That's what we know as retailers and you lose the sense of community. So the curbside market was all about recreating that by basically making, bringing back the peddler of the 21st century. <laughs> and, uh, it's gone really well. We went from one truck one year, six years ago. Um, that was only going to run for three months. Now we have three trucks running seven days or six and a half days a week. Um, serving thousands and thousands of people. And it's really people, it's become a lifeline for folks. There's a lot of people who it is how they get their fruits and vegetables because they live in a community that otherwise doesn't have stores. And, uh, that's been the proudest thing that I've been able to, that I've accomplished at Food Link and something that I've actually been trying to work to make it more of a national model so that people recognize that food retail moving forward is not always going to look like the 180,000 square foot Walmart superstore, right? It, it is going to work, be more localized and more community driven. And guess what, Ben? COVID is proving that COVID is proving the need for that more than anything else right now.
0: Love it. Yeah. I'd love to see that as a national model and, um, you know, rock 2034, building this into a national model. What have we missed? What else is, what else is in store for the
1: future? Well, I think that, um, you know, a, a big thing right now is, is rock the Way, um, which is, it's really a, it's a big project that, um, I certainly I had nothing to do with the designing of it or even the, implementation right now but it's something that I, I'm really interested in seeing how it progresses we are a city that for some odd reason did not develop a love for our river it it just doesn't make any sense it's it's backward um, you go to most cities and the riverfront property you know riv- riv- most cities most big cities are on rivers right there's historical reasons for that and most of those cities are able to make the river the kind of focal point. And for us, it's like we turned our back on it for so long. And so now we are in the process of trying to make our river more accessible, more of a focal point of our city. Um, I think, you know, going back to the roots of your show, I think it should have huge impacts for the music community as we develop more, um, you know, free outdoor venues for people to be able to perform. We need to do more and more of that to make the city the city that it should be. And I'm very confident that we're gonna that it's gonna keep happening, um, but we really need you know this can't be stuff that's done top down by government. We need people to get active and involved, and to make it clear what they want and what they're going to use.
0: Absolutely, and we touched on this earlier. But Mitch, what's the best way to get in touch with you to get involved to reach out to you? Uh, what are if I were to go to two three places, where should I
1: start? Well, first I, I try. So before I signed up, before I, I ran for office, I had never signed up for social media before. So I'm still kind of a rookie at it, but I do have uh, a Facebook, a Twitter and uh, Instagram. Um, my Facebook city council page, I really try to use as a, as a public facing um, place for information for folks. So, so check that out for sure. Um, I'd also say that my, the best way to reach me directly is always email. Uh, um, mitch.gruber at cityofrochester.gov is the best way to do it. You can find me right there on the city website, not hard to find. And, um, I have, I'm really proud that I, I answer all my emails. I, I'm one of those guys who I can't go to bed without my inbox at zero. So, um, get in touch. Let me know what's going on. And, uh, I'm happy to keep this conversation, uh, going. If any of the things I talked about tonight feel interesting for folks, get in touch
0: love it yeah clean inbox makes a clean mind so get in touch with mitch he will follow up as he just said and um one last question that i love to ask every single guest let's say you had the opportunity to control a billboard very busy area and just for the sake of the the imagination of this all every race every you know ethnicity all age groups all kinds of people drive down or walk down that road and they see that billboard you have the opportunity to put a word a sentence a paragraph w- what would that billboard say and why
1: uh yeah for me um it's it's hard for me to answer that question any any way other than with my food think mode on um and I have a couple mantras that I, I always talk about there. The big one in the world of public health that I always like to talk about is, is uh, make the healthy choice the easy choice. Um, it's, it's the thing that I think is, is so absolutely critical. People talk all the time about how, uh, you know, folks talk about how poor folks don't want to eat healthy, right? People say, oh, there's a reason why, you know, the poorer you are in this country, the more likely you are to have diabetes, Uh, hypertension, heart disease, and that those are true statements, but it's not because of desire. It's because when you make the healthy choice really hard, it's damn near impossible to be healthy. Um, so I love that motto of making the healthy, healthy choice, the easy choice. I also love the the idea of eat good, feel good. Um, I, I just, I believe that we need to fuel ourselves and and eat doesn't always, you know, I, I think that eat, not just in the physical, um, eating, Uh, you know, eating is also something that we talk about, like in, like in sports, right? Basketball players talk about how they're eating, uh, when they're having a good game. Um, I think eat good, feel good is about fueling yourself and fuel yourself with good and then doing good. Um, I think those are really, uh, key words. So I, I, I'm reluctant to say those are my answers because those would be shitty billboards by themselves. But I think if, if they were contextualized. With some good graphics and some follow-ups, they'd be pretty good.
0: No, I love it. I, I always say you can you know, pay for health now or pay for it later, but either way, it's something that is going to cost money and is pivotal to having a long, happy, sustainable life. Um, Mitch, is there anything that I didn't ask you? Any last thoughts?
1: There's tons of stuff you didn't ask me, but uh, but it was it was fun, and you're always welcome. And you did a great job, and I'm, I'm always happy to come back. I like talking. You seem like a really uh, you seem like a guy who's really interested in our city. And and by the way, one thing I will mention that you didn't that you didn't say didn't ask. Um, you talked before I think we started the live. You talked about the kind of culture of Rochester, and one thing that I would really encourage people to think about is rochester has an old nickname it's, it stems from i think the, the the 50s um it was a book written by a journalist called Smugtown, and so rochester's had this this nickname of Smugtown for a long time and it's got really nasty uh implications um but sometimes i find it to be very true um that that rochester is a place where it's not about what you know but who you know that there is a smugness in the air I'm telling you right now, Ben, first of all, young folks need to, under should probably read that book or or, or uh, skim it. But it is our generation. It is the, the generation right now who's on the cusp of being kind of in charge of the way things work that needs to strip that down. We need to not be a smug town anymore. We need to be a town that's inclusive. We need to be a town that makes everybody feel welcome. And we need to be a town that's going to actually continue to to thrive the way I can tell you want it to. So I appreciate your enthusiasm for the city and invite me back whenever you'd like.
0: Thank you, Mitch. We'll leave it at that. Thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it.
1: All right. Take care.